This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you All right, it's coming up to my favorite time of year, tax time, so let's get stuck in. Welcome back to an episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing and whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, if you're just getting up to speed with the basics, we uh, recommend that you go and check out our podcast, Get Started Investing, and then come and join us here on the main show. But with that said, my name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. That's good. Thanks for coming in today. Take a seat. Let's unpack why it's your favorite time of year. What sickness do you have in your (laughs) mind that leads you to think that this is the best time of year? It's a nice refresh halfway through the year, six months in, you get get the calendar new year. The volume of paperwork that you have to fill out. No paperwork. The the amount of scrolling you have to do back through your banking apps to figure out what you've spent and what you can claim. No, Ren. Is it the frustration of realizing that your broker has hasn't actually produced a tax report yet and so you can't actually submit your tax return. No, none of that. Uh, is it the cost that you have to pay to an accountant or a tax professional to uh, help you do it? No, none of that. What is it? Why I just do you told like you. It so it's, a, it's a refresh. <laughs> it's an opportunity to review portfolio, make sure that you're setting yourself up. Uh, in the right uh, habits financially going into the second half of the calendar year. Well, this podcast is for all the sickos like Bryce who love tax time (laughs) and all the people like me who just get through it. Well, you shouldn't just get through it. You should pay more attention to it, Ren. And luckily in today's episode, we are continuing with our Ask an Advisor series. And if you've just joined us for the first time, Welcome. The Ask an Advisor series is uh, the chance for you to ask some of Australia's best Uh, financial advisors, your questions. We understand that financial advice is expensive uh, and it's pretty inaccessible for a lot of us. So we bring them into the studio and ask them your questions. That's right. The numbers are pretty stark. 2007, uh, 20% of Australians had a financial advisor. The latest numbers suggest just 10% of Australians have a financial advisor. Mm. So this show is our small part to help the 90% of Australians, which include both of us, who can't afford a financial advisor, ask some of their biggest money 
and investing questions. And we've had a lot come in around tax, given that we're just about to close out the financial tax year of 2023. So we are joined by Andrew Wilson, who is Managing Director at Wilson Chartered Accountant. And uh, we have plenty of questions to get through in today's episode that covers general tax questions. We cover investments and, uh, and we also cover uh, deductions, everyone's favourite. Oh, wow. <laughs> everyone's favourite. To favorite. be fair, that is everyone's favourite. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to dispute that. How can I squeeze deductions? Now, I actually wasn't here for this interview. I was still over in the United States. Uh, is that... Is that a tax deduction, the US trip? Yeah, there's elements of it that would be a tax deduction for sure because it was for business purposes and you can make the link between that and income derived from our business as you will learn in this episode, Ren. Well, yeah, as uh, so I wasn't uh, in the room for this episode, so expect to hear 45 minutes of two people that love tax time (laughs) speaking giddily about it all. But it is important to note we are licensed but we are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Mm. And especially when it comes to tax time, uh, the rules that Bryce and Andrew are speaking about generally on this episode may have uh, a different application based on your specific financial circumstances. That's it. So if there's ever a moment uh, to pay a professional to help you, it's tax time. So speak to a tax professional to see how these uh, general rules uh, apply to your specific financial circumstances. Now, Ren, you mentioned at the top there that you're aimlessly scrolling through spreadsheets and bits and pieces and trying to find pieces of paper and receipts and all sorts of things and understanding when you sold stocks and when you didn't. And it sounds a bit chaotic over on your side. I'm going to butcher your segue here and just (laughs) name and shame one broker. One broker doesn't give you a tax report until the end of October. Yeah. I'm not going to mention who, but... (laughs) That's annoying. It's annoying. But anyway, a lot of people... (laughs) But where you're segueing to will solve this problem for me. Well, yes. It's important when it comes to tax time that you have uh, an easy way of tracking your investments so you can report capital gains, dividends, capital losses. A platform that I use to do that, I've moved away from my spreadsheets, is ShareSite. They let you track investment performance over uh, the life of your portfolio. Uh, You can look at your capital gains. As I said, you can track your capital losses. It is super helpful, not only at tax time, but generally throughout the year, just to see general portfolio performance. Now, you can sign up for free if you have less than 10 holdings. Great. Go on, check it out, see how useful it is. If you have over 10, it does become an annual premium subscription. But the good news is through EquityMates, you can save... uh, four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. All you need to do is go to sharesite.com slash equity mates. We'll put that link in the show notes and uh, yeah, give it a crack. It's certainly helpful when it comes to portfolio tracking. Now here's the question. Is a share site subscription tax deductible? I think it is. Yeah. Ask your tax advisor, <laughs> ask your tax advisor, but you, you could argue it. But anyway, the, we kick off this episode with deductions, Ren. So that feels like the great point to get stuck into this interview with Andrew. Well, Andrew, welcome to the EquityMate studio. Thanks for having us, Bryce. Now, tax time, end of financial year tax time. We have gone out to the EquityMates community to give them the opportunity to ask all of their tax questions. It is uh, Simon in our office. It's his favorite time of year when he starts thinking about all the, the, the deductions that are available. All the deductions. <laughs> the, the deductions coming out, coming out of your back pocket. Exactly. So uh, we're going to break this into three sections. We're going to generally speak about the deductions and uh, I guess how we can think about them, how we can make sure we're not missing 
any, uh, have a chat about concessional super as well. Then there's some in, uh, investing specific tax questions and then we'll uh, close out with just some general ones that have come in from the Equity Mates community. And a reminder, uh, as part of our Ask an Advisor series, you can also submit questions. We'll let you know when the next episode is coming. But Andrew, let's start with deductions. What are the key deductions and tax offsets that are generally available and how can I make sure that I am claiming every single one that I'm entitled to? <laughs> yeah, sure. Bryce, that, that's the million-dollar question, right? Yes. You know, what, 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 what can I claim? What am I eligible for? The, the challenge is, mate, is it's um, deductions that you're eligible for are largely you know, occupational industry specific. Yeah. You know, for example, what a, uh, a tradesman builder is eligible for is going to be different from what a financial investment advisor would be eligible for. Um, to give an example, tradies can purchase protective clothing, steel cap boots, eyewear, high-vis and the like, while you know, an investment advisor who travels to the same, same office every day, nine to five, um, wears a suit and carries a briefcase is obviously going to have a different different set of eligible deductions, okay? Um, unfortunately, the ATO take the view that a suit is, uh, is, is a personal type uh, attire and, and you can't claim uh, for a suit. However, you know, if you're a, a tradie and you're, you're wearing high-vis and, and boots, you're, they are eligible deductions, okay? The two key things to consider when trying to decipher what deductions you may or may not be eligible for is firstly speak to your tax agent because they're, they're an expert in, in that. I feel like this is going to be a common theme through this episode. <laughs> you might hear me say that quite a bit in this conversation. But uh, speak to your tax agent and, and the key is also being able to draw a nexus between your, your occupation or the income that you derive and the expense that you uh, incur, okay? And, that, and the word nexus is, is um, yeah, it's all over the ATO website. It's, a, um, it's what the ATO will look at when you uh, try to verify and, and claim your deduction, the clear connection and nexus between um, your income and expense. It's not black or white, I feel. It feels like it's, or, or is it when you go on the website and can you, can you filter on like industry specific? Let, let's, for example, Simon here in the office, he's trying to look through this. We obviously work in media and financial services. Uh, given the amount of podcasting and, and media work that we do, could he claim like his Spotify and Netflix accounts? <laughs> Look, that, that is another question I get quite a bit. Short answer, if there is a nexus, so for example, if Simon needs to check that on Spotify that an ad particularly played up at a certain point in time yep. or uh, that a podcast that he managed uh, covered a particular topic or whatever it might be and, and Spotify becomes a, essential to the operation of his occupation and that uh, he's obviously... Uh, paying for the paid subscription of Spotify and he's paying his $9 or whatever it is at the moment a month, then yes, he can claim Spotify. However, one of the key things is um, to remove any personal use. Yeah, you know, so, so it's, it's, it's not the entire monthly. Absolutely. So, um, you know, if he's listening to Metallica for nine out of 10 hours a week and he's using the last hour um, on his Spotify. <laughs> he does do that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he's using his last hour to, to check, you know, that the ads are coming on and that, he's, that he's, uh, his podcasts are running as anticipated, then, you know, he, he could claim 10%. 
of, of that cost. In, in terms of recording that, does he just need to somehow just note somewhere that this week it was 10%? You've got to, you've got to be reasonable. You, know, you don't, yeah. don't log it every time you jump yeah. on Spotify. But to, to use your mobile phone, for example, um, a real estate agent obviously taking lots of phone calls from buyers and sellers and what have you, but might, might jump on Facebook for, at the end of a Saturday afternoon to check their feed or whatever then you know, you, they might pull out their phone bill for a month or two, they'd highlight it and go, okay, I've got a 90, 95% work-related use because gotcha. every now and then I incidentally do something personal, right? Yep. So then you'd claim a, a 95% use. You don't have to check it you know, for the full 12 months a year, sure. but you might do a good sample and, and, yep. and pu- push that out, out over the course of the year. So just to kind of summarise that, if there's a clear link or as you say, nexus between your occupation and the income derived from that expense, then you're probably in the area of being able to claim some sort of a deduction. Yeah, absolutely. There's a connection there, then it's it's at least worth investigating and talking to your tax agent about. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, can you explain uh, the rules and requirements for claiming deductions related to home office expenses for all of us who are now finding that we're probably working from home way more than we were pre-COVID and, and I know the government brought in some easy rules for us to help with this. I'm not sure if they still stand. So help us through understanding home office deductions. Yeah, you, you, you're absolutely right, Bryce. So uh, during COVID, there were, there were a few methods, I think there was three methods off the top of my head that you could claim working from home um, deductions, but they've recently revised that as we sort of return to a bit more normality and um, people are, are returned to the office that they've now cut that back down to two methods and they are the revised fixed rate method and the actual cost method. Now, under the fixed rate method, you're entitled to claim 67 cents per hour that you work from home but that hourly rate covers things such as your data and phone usage, um, electricity and gas, printer ink, stationery and the like, okay? 67 cents on the dollar for every hour that you work from home. Correct. Okay. So it's good to keep some kind of record for the days and hours that you work. You know, I know some people work more hours than others, so um, <laughs> good, good to keep track of that. And then on top of that, there are some other separate deductions you can include and they are things like... Um, office uh, desks and, and um, computers and uh, cleaning, but only if you have a dedicated office space, okay? So if you set up your laptop and you're watching State of Origin and you're working, well, then that you can't claim for cleaning your lounge room. But if you've got a, you know, <laughs> if you've got a spare bedroom and a designated space, you can include those additional costs, okay? The second method being the actual cost method is, is a bit more onerous, but it's probably uh, more advantageous for people who generally work, you know, heavily at home and, and have the ability to, to keep track of their actual costs. So they're allowed to capture all those internet, mobile phone, electricity and gas, stationery and the like on an actual cost method. Yeah. Okay. The deductions can be heavier and, and, and uh, you can claim more, but you obviously the record keeping requirements mm. attached to that are, are more onerous. And so by that you mean similarly to the, you know, the Spotify example, uh, if you want to do the the method of actual cost, your quarterly electricity bill is 300 bucks and you say of that quarter I worked from home 
60 percent of that yeah. or x hours therefore i'm going to claim x percentage of that 300 yeah absolutely absolutely okay. like the the ato guidance on that says they even say we we require you sort of um detailed calculations and records so um, they do require. Yeah. So, but what about with the sixty-seven cents? It's just. It's no. It's as long as you kept track of your hours that you're working from home and, and can justify that. It's a it's a flat it's rate. It's just, yeah. and so just on that one because that feels like the easiest one for a lot of us who probably haven't been diligent with record keeping. If it's sixty-seven cents for every dollar of on every dollar for every hour, let's say you work twenty-four hours a week at home, so th- say three days a week. By 48 weeks a year, you have four weeks of annual leave. <laughs> that's about $771. Yep. So that's the that's the deduction that you can claim against your income. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, against your salary and wage income. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Nice. That's pretty yeah. good. So if, you, if you're home full time now, it can add up. Yeah, I, th- I think 1200 something dollars you know, off the top of your head if you're working a 40-hour week from home. Wow. Like, yeah. Wow. Not bad. As long as you can... Cl- as long as you can... can uh, show a record in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Now, um, before the show, we were speaking of deductions and you wanted to mention concessional super contributions because that sort of is a form of tax deduction. Can you try and sed- shed some light on concessional super, what it means, how it is tax advantageous with the caveat, I think that super as we said before the show as well is an incredibly unnecessarily complex yeah (laughs) absolutely now you're quite right so super is is a very complicated beast but in short there are two types of ways you can contribute to your superannuation so one is um, concessional or tax deductible contribution the second is uh, non-concessional non-deductible and there are ato imposed limits that you can contribute each year ATO imposed limits you can contribute as a concessional or a non-concessional each year. Now, I guess one of the um, benefits of a concessional contribution, as we were discussing before the show, Bryce, was that you know you, you can claim a tax deduction for putting away for future savings, future retirement. So you know, in my book, that's that's fantastic. You know, um, you're really just putting money for future retirement, but you're claiming to tax deduction on the way through. Now. Uh, over recent years, the ATO bought in what they call catch-up concessional contributions. And what it allows you to do, any of that unused cap, which is currently 27500 a year, that you did not use um, in previous years, you can bring forward. Um, so that is effective from the 2019 income tax year. So, you know, depending on what you've used, you know, you could be potentially claiming a tax, you know, $100,000 tax deduction if you haven't used your full concessional cap uh, in a tax year and put that in for future retirement and savings. So let's just play this out. The first part you said was that, you, you know, the concessional super is, you, you love it because it's a tax deduction now for future savings for you in retirement. How, how is that the case? So, you know, we all have our, you know, nest egg, our, our, our super fund, whether it be in a public offer, you know, fund with Host Plus or something like that, or whether a self-managed super fund, that you can access when you eventually retire, okay? So I know that particularly probably some of your young, your audience are probably younger and probably don't give superannuation the attention it probably deserves. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it this way, um, you've got 20, let's say you've $20,000 lying around and you're eligible after checking with your tax agent um, that to, to leverage these, um, these the contribution caps, 
instead of putting it into a yeah a, an ETF or a managed fund, you go and then throw that into um, your retail for public offer fund or, or your self-managed super fund and you invest it in the same stock or managed fund or whatever it might be um, that you would ordinarily in your own name or in your own family trust or whatever it might be, but it's parked away for retirement and it, you know, it, it achieves the same growth and, and dividend stream and whatever it might be outside of the superannuation environment. Um, uh, so you know, it's locked away, yes. However, it's you know, you, you're getting the same growth and benefit you would just just for future years. And there's a there's a tax advantage in doing that, which is that it's taxed at the lower Correct. rate. Correct. So there's, there, you, you, there's two key tax takeaways from it. Firstly, you'll get the tax deduction when you put it in there, okay? And then rather than being taxed at, you know, potentially 47% being an individual, um, you it will be taxed at uh, 15%. Um, in in the superannuation environment, so yeah, there's there's significant advantage two ways. So that twenty grand you're talking about, if I have a lump sum of twenty grand and I decide to take it out of my bank account and put it in super, that's actually going to a twenty grand tax deduction on my income this year. Correct. All right. But you, it's very. I want to say this again, Bryce, but it's very important you check that with uh, your tax agent. Okay. Because you know things that go towards your contribution are like your salary and wage so any superannuation that is included in salary and wage goes towards that cap that, that we mentioned yeah um so you, it's best to check with your tax agent they'll do the numbers and say yep your unused cap is x you can put up to x in um and if you go over that the, yeah, there is some um, what they call excess contributions tax that you need to consider so um very important again check check with your tax agent prior to prior to doing it nice so i guess then t- um at this time of year you often see people trying to max out that super cap and yep. so that's what they're doing. They're just saying that of the 27500 or whatever is available for me to put in additional concessional contributions, if I've got some spare cash, I'm just going to max that out and take advantage before the new tax year rolls around. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, that's, um, that's it for the deduction side of things from the Equitymates community. Now we've got a bunch of investing specific ones that have come through from, uh, from our audience as well. Rightly so, one that continues to pop up every time <laughs> is around franking credits. Now, yeah. <laughs> can you please explain franking credits? And uh, this is from, from one of the members of our community. Why, what do I need to know about them at the end of financial year? Have you got six hours or? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <It's laughs> yeah, look, look, this, mate, this is one of my favorite topics and <laughs> wow. and, yeah, and it's it is a very complicated beast and um you might remember um bill shorten tried to play with everyone's friend credits and everyone got upset and that was a a bit of a failure so don't touch your friend credits but it, look it, it is it is very complicated but to make it or to, to put it across in the simplest way possible is the uh the principle behind them is that Companies in Australia, you know, they're, they're corporate entities and they generally pay tax at 30%, okay? And then when that company declares a dividend and pays it out into Bryce's hands, um, the principle behind it is they don't want that post-tax profit being taxed twice again in, mm. in Bryce's hands. So the there is a what they call a 30% credit attached to that particular dividend, okay? And that, to you personally, Bryce, is refundable, sorry, it re- reduces existing um, tax that you may be payable, but it is also potentially refundable depending on your individual circumstances. It's also um, 
you've got to consider what, what entity receives that dividend. So, for example, a company can't get that refunded, but it can re- will reduce company tax, okay? Superfund receives the refund, you know, um, and individuals receive refunds, but companies do not. So it, that's where this is where the technicalities come in because it's often, it, depending on the recipient, depends on you know the actual tax treatment. And so during the year, I'm paid dividends that are fully franked, meaning that for the entirety of that dividend, the tax has been paid by the company. Yep. And so it comes with that franking credit that yep. I can then I will get refunded at tax time. Are there any other uses for that credit, or is it just a direct refund? Not always a direct refund, okay. So if you are a high wage earner and you're on the highest marginal tax rate, you will pay what they call the gap tax between yeah. the company tax rate and you know, your higher rate. So yeah. it will reduce um, you, you, you buy that, that, that particular um, franking credit portion. Yeah, it will only dep- result in a refund if you're – to, you know, if your circumstances allow it to, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and do I have to? Is it done automatically, or yeah. do I have to? If I've if I'm getting Vanguard dividends every quarter and I'm getting BHP and Combank, do I have to be like, okay, that was fully franked, that one was seventy percent, and then somehow do all the maths at the end of the day? <laughs> yeah. So look, that that's that's um that's a that's a good question. So historically, you had to do a lot of this manually, okay. But the ATO have very good data matching um, capability now and often when you open up an investment account with a particular provider, you provide your TFN and a whole mm-hmm. bunch of personal details and they report that annually to the ATO. So, you know, when we as tax agents log on to your profile in our, in our tax agent portal, we'll see a lot of that and a lot of that can get imported and pre-filled into our software. So okay. that removes, I'll call it, a good chunk of that. However... There are still sort of platforms or I'll call it people who made an investment 20 years ago that's sitting on some platform or some brokerage account that hasn't got a TFN located to it. So you've still got to go through the manual process of tracking the dividends, tracking the franked credits, what's franked, what's not franked and things like that and and cross-checking it. You can't just sort of you know, rely on, on what's fed to you from the ATO. Again, it's... Uh it seems like a unnecessarily complicated system. Given I feel like many countries around the world don't do franking credits. It's just like, make it simple, pay us the <laughs> dividend and let us ta- pay the tax on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So uh, we've got a couple of, a few overseas listeners, um, but we also have many of our listeners uh, investing overseas and receiving dividends and income from investments overseas. So what are the tax implications for receiving income from overseas sources or overseas assets? Look, assuming you are an Australian resident for income tax purposes, a foreign asset is largely treated no different from you know, an Australian Australian asset. If you got a, if you got a, uh, an interest in a, a US stock versus an Australian stock, there's no real difference, right? The capital gain is treated the same. The um, dividend stream is treated the same. It falls into your you know, into your pool of income for the year, and, and you get assessed at your uh, you know, individual tax rate or, or, or whatever entity you might hold this particular asset in. Um, where it can get be different and, and be a little bit different, to, d- difficult or different to track is that some, some of these particular, I'll call it foreign income uh, streams have um, foreign tax credits attached to them that you can claim in, in, your, refund, in your tax return. So um, that is where it's different. You know, different jurisdictions have all different nuances of how they 
withhold tax and all this kind of stuff. So, right. you know, you've got to keep track of that and, and um, make sure you capture the correct credit in your, in your, in your returns. All right. Another one from the community. Um, we encourage on the show to take advantage of dividend reinvestment programs or plans, just get that compound going over a long period of time, reinvest those dividends. But what are the implications from a tax point of view? I haven't actually received the income in my bank account. Is it treated the same? Yeah. And unfortunately it is treated the same, Bryce. It's, uh, the, the, the view is it's it's exactly the same as receiving physical cash. You know, right. you, you've received another asset in place of cash. It is assessable to you on the date that you receive that asset or receive that cash. Um, so, yeah, really no difference. And you also get the benefit of the, the franking credit that might be attached to that as well. So just to follow on from that, another question was uh, around dividends. Is it the X date or the pay date that counts as the 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 point of recognition for tax. Yeah, as an individual, it is it is the pay date. So you, as you're probably quite quite aware, you know, a, a company might declare a dividend in February, February, but you might not receive the cash until August. Yeah, and, and 30 June being um, the Australian end of uh, tax year cutoff, um, that will fall into the time that you actually receive the cash into your bank account. Okay, nice. Do so for those of us who have lost money, which. <laughs> <laughs> Is a lot of us uh, at various points in time. When you get to the end of the tax year, you have a decision where you can sell your losses for a capital loss and uh, use that against capital gains in the future. Do capital losses have a use by when you're deferring them? I.e., if I had a capital loss from 10 years ago at uni on one of my <laughs> specy stocks that I have recorded. All your Bitcoin losses? Yeah, all my Bitcoin losses. Can I... Uh, I, I guess it's a two-part question. If I hadn't have recorded that loss in that tax year, can I retrospectively go back and say, I actually had a capital loss back then, here's the record? And secondly, if I did record it back then but haven't used it against a capital gain until now, 10 years later, is it still active? Yeah, sure. So first question, absolutely. So your capital losses are carried forward, you know, indefinitely okay right um but it's very important that when you're completing your tax return you you capture that in um your what they call your cgt losses schedule and in, in your losses record so that that will sit there and pop up in your tax return each and every year that you um lodge your your tax return until such time you go and use that okay and also it's important to note that capital losses can only be used to offset capital gains that can't be used to deduct against any other yeah. accessible income. So you know, if you've got a salary and wage, but you've made a loss on a stock, unfortunately, you can't deduct that against yeah. that. Okay. So it's, it's specific to capital losses uh, uh, and capital gains only. Now, if you uh, made an investment and you made a loss, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, the correct way is to technically go back to the year in question and amend your return to okay. include that loss. Okay. Um, you know, if all of a sudden you had uh, a big loss just pop up in a tax return, you might trigger an ATO to look at it and say, oh, hang on, you've made a, a large gain this year and you've pulled, pulled this loss, please provide the history behind it. But if it's included in your return each every year, the ATO can track it, they can see it, they've got visibility of it and it's less of a surprise when you when you go and utilise it, if you know what I'm saying, yeah. use that loss. So. Okay, that's interesting. So you can do it but you need to go through the formal process of amending that tax return that's, that's so that it's way. then formally recorded. Yeah. And then just to um, clarify, if I'm doing tax return myself online, where do I record those capital losses? There's the, – look, it's a bit of a tricky part of the – 
of the of the return okay. of, the, of the I return as they, as they call it. Um, there is a specific section in there, and you generally complete what they call a capital gains tax worksheet that should pre-fill that. Um, as I said, it is complicated okay. because you know, you've got to include things like discounted, gain, discounted and non-discounted gains and you've got to apply losses in the correct order and the like. So my strong suggestion would be if, if you've got a, a, a material capital gain or loss that you're looking to include on your tax return is to get a tax agent to review it or, or to, or to com- complete that for you um, just because you know, we've seen some – we often get clients come up, come up to us at the end of the year and say, "Hey, Andrew, I've, I've uh, done my capital gains calc. This is what it is," and then you know they're off by hundreds of thousands. You know, so. <laughs> so for those of us who have been burnt by Bitcoin over the last twelve months, uh, strongly recommend seeing a tax agent. For yeah, those. and I'll add one thing also, Bryce. Depending on what platform you invest on and things like that, a lot of um, these platforms will give you tax statements where they've done the hard work for you. So strongly implore your listeners to. to to download your tax statements and they'll say, this is what you bought, this is what you realised, this is what you unrealised, this is what your discounted gains are and things like that. So that will take some of the grunt work out of it. But if you're literally just buying and selling, you know, um, and you need to, you don't have that, a platform that manages that aspect for you, then you've, you've got to be able to do the calculation yourself. Just on that, confirming that from a tax point of view, unrealised gains or losses mean nothing. Correct, correct. They... Um, there, again, I think you're one of your uh, further questions that we'll, we'll touch on um, is not accessible until until it's realised. Yeah. So you know, so you can hold on to an asset forever and a day, and it will, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, is there any difference in tax rates for dual listed assets, such as you know uh, ASML or a lot of those companies that are listed in America, but also over on European? or here in Australia and in, in America as well? Yeah, no, so the short answer is no. So I think we're going back to, you know, your question on foreign assets and the like, the, the same principle applies just because a stock is listed on one particular exchange and, and also on another doesn't change the way in the eyes of the ATO that that asset or that income stream off that asset is treated as, as me as uh, a tax resident in Australia. You know, uh, it, it, again, it doesn't matter if it's Australian or overseas or what exchange it's on, it's, it's still the same income stream or it's still the same uh, capital asset, okay? But again, where, where things might differ is on um, uh, whether any credits attached to that foreign tax credits attached to that might might change across uh, different different jurisdictions and different listings. All right, uh, two more to close out on investing uh, around dividends. Firstly, for those that are weighing up the, the tax benefits of capital growth compared to dividend payments, how would we think through that? And then when reporting dividends, is there a minimum that I need to report? I'll, that I'll that sta- would be nice. <laughs> I'll, st- I'll start with the first one and the answer is, you know, your first cent of dividend needs to be in- yes. included. Um, any any dividend income. <laughs> any dividend income. You know, there's no, getting away with there's it. There's no secret dividend income that you don't include. You know? um, unfortunately, your first cent that you, you derive uh, needs to be captured in your tax return. But going back to I call the first part of the question around capital growth versus dividends. So as we alluded to earlier, you know, you, you, you can buy an asset, it could be a house, it could be a, you know, a portfolio of shares. And it, as long as you don't hold on to those, you'll never pay any capital gains tax on that growth. You know, it's only when you realise and sell the asset that you've got a, a CGT consideration. Um, contrary to that, dividends, obviously, you know, your first cent that you receive in a particular year, you need to declare on your on your tax return, include on your tax return. So, um, 
there is a, a consideration on an annual basis for that. But two two things to consider when you when you're weighing that up is dividends. You know, generally in Australia have have, have franken credits attached to them, and depending on your circumstances, can result in potential refunds to you or, or reduction in in your in your tax. Similarly, capital gains can be subject to what they call the fifty percent discount. Okay, and can reduce tax and if you do have capital losses available to you and you know, you can also offset those with your losses so there's pros and cons of each and um, it will all come down to your circumstances at the time. Well Andrew we're going to take a very quick break but on the other side we're going to close out with some of the general tax questions that have come through from the community around self-managed super funds, uh, tax on your spouse's income, uh, medical expense deductions, there's uh, plenty to go so let's take a quick break and we'll pick it up on the other side. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. We're here with Andrew Wilson, Managing Director at Wilson CA, Chartered Accounting. Is that right? That's Chartered it. Accounting, That's yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Andrew, we've had plenty of questions come through from the community on deductions and investing. So we'll close out this episode with just with some, some general ones. And uh, I'll start with one, which is around self-managed super funds. Sure. Worth it or not for people my our age-ish sort of early in their careers but starting to develop a decent sized nest egg yeah look that's a that's a good question so technically you know unless you're licensed we're, we're not allowed to give i'll call it um superannuation advice but the commentary is generally around unless your um your fund is up to around 200 but 200 300 000 a year uh, sorry in 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 a balance then it's not really worth the administration and costs yeah. and burden attached to, to running a fund. Generally, if one of our clients is a um, looking to invest in super, sorry, start a self-managed super fund, um, there the generally needs to be a strategy around that. You know, they, they might be a, s- a small business owner and looking to they want to acquire their the premises that they operate out of in, in their superannuation or, or, a, or something similar like, like that. Um, otherwise, you know, you, you it make your life a lot easier being in a public offer fund where you know all, all the administration cost and headache is, is is managed by someone else, and, and you don't as as trustee of your fund have to have to carry that. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Um this one has come in. It, if an individual's spouse earns a lower income, 
Are there any strategies available to help reduce the overall combined tax burden that the couple face together? Yeah, look, this is something we, we get asked quite a lot and there are ways and means of sharing income around the family, okay, but it often depends on how that income is derived and, 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 and the nature of it. So to give you an example, Bryce used to work at Woolworths, you know, your large six-figure salary that you used to have there. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's your salary. You can't go and share that, um, you know, with, with, your, with your partner. You know, that's, a, that's, that's personal exertion. That, that belongs to you. However, if you um, have a, an investment asset or an investment portfolio, um, there are ways and means of sharing that amongst the family group. Now, these are generally, sorry, the, and the, the manner in which that is done is via what they call a family trust or yep. a discretionary trust, okay? And they, they are also a very technical beast, the way the, the mechanism and the foundations of how a trust works, but to put it across as you know, simply as we can, they are, they are assets or, that are held for and on behalf of the beneficiaries or in this case of the family group. And it kind of works like a family tree. So um, you'd have you know, husband and wife at the top of the family tree or, or um, you know, the, the partners at the top of the family tree and then you know, brothers, sisters, aunts, kids and things like that. So it gives you flexibility that you know the uh, the dividend flow and the capital gain flow out of that pool of assets that are held by that trust to it gives them disc- the trustee discretion to share that amongst the family group okay and there's rules around that and how that needs to be done from a I'll call it a tax compliance perspective but it does give you the ability that you know if your wife's on maternity leave and you've got a pool of assets and and dividends coming through that you can um, allocate the trustee can allocate that flow of income to the the lower um, the lower income earner for the for the year in question. All right. So an, another general general one: Can out of pocket medical expenses be deducted? Unfortunately, not. Um, I think it was twenty nineteen tax year it was the last year where they used to be called what the med, uh, out of pockets medical expenses offset. So where there was you know if, if for for people who had incurred um, medical expenses over a certain value that you could wasn't a deduction it was an actual tax offset with a calculation behind it um but the long and the short of it is that's that's no longer available um and uh you know medical expenses are not cheap so Mm. but unfortunately they're they're deemed personal in nature and and there's not much you can really do yeah it is what it is now uh what are the potential benefits or considerations of structuring one's income as a business entity instead of paying personal tax and at what income level does this start to make sense? Now, I'd be interested to know if this is even possible other than becoming a sole trader or a contractor. Like I don't, yeah, if, look, I, if I was at Woolies, I couldn't start structuring my income as a business entity. No, you're quite correct. So investing is a passive activity, right? Like it's, you're not actively engaged in business. You're, you're, you're placing money into and, and developing an asset pool. You're not um, buying and selling widgets or providing a service. Mm. So I, you couldn't say that, structuring an investment portfolio as a business it, do, it doesn't work that way but what i will say is if you are generally undertaking a business and you know whether it be uh, a, a, you know, a professional services business a construction business whatever it might be seeking the advice uh, to get your correct structure in place from the outset is 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 so vital mm. similarly with an investment portfolio and the reason I say that is, you know, if we if you were to start a business tomorrow, Bryce, and it grows in ten years' time to be this, you know, behemoth, that if you haven't 
um, got the right structure in place, then you could be slammed with full capital gains yeah, and, yeah, and all yeah. this kind of nightmare that that I, I find um, people come to me in five, ten years' time and say, Andrew, I've you know, built this business, oh, but I've, you know, I've done. You know, I, I skimped on advice to begin with, and now you've got a, a capital gains issue to time wind. And similarly with an investment portfolio, okay, if you kept on investing uh, with the incorrect structure without having due regard to you know your family circumstances and, and your future goals and aspirations, then you could end up with this big pool of asset that you that you, you're going to pay unnecessary tax on when you eventually um, sell or, or you know or exit that that particular. Um, investment. Nice, Andrew. Well, that brings us to the end of our uh, end of financial year tax special. We do one every year. It was great for you to join us in the studio. Plenty of questions to get through there. And I hope we covered enough off for the community that they feel a little bit more confident on how to approach the end of financial year tax time. I think just one question for me about setting yourself up for FY24 is just around uh, best practice for record keeping, because there's obviously heaps of uh, stuff that you could do around dividends and when you bought and when you sold and and uh, everything to do with working from home. I think just to, to make it as simple as possible, what I've taken from this is just if you can have a decent representation of how you have used your work from home environment and those sorts of things, then that is, I guess, good enough. And then when it comes to tax and, and dividends and, and, uh, and, you know, when you've purchased stocks, a lot of the platforms these days do it for you. But if they don't, that's where you really need to make sure you have a pretty good record keeping system so that capital losses, particularly you can, you can report. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no excuses now, Bryce. Like everyone's got access to all the computers, all the apps. You know, if you need to log your driving, you've got a, a digi- the ATO give you a digital logbook, all this kind of stuff that right. you know um, that that you know back in the day people would say oh, I, my 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 logbook that I kept in my glove box, box you know I sold the car and it's <laughs> yeah, disappeared, yeah. you know that kind of stuff. So now there's no really no excuses, and it, it shouldn't be that onerous as long as you you know you're reasonable and rational, then um, you, you should be well prepared to prepare your tax. Nice. Well, we certainly do appreciate you coming on, answering all of our, our questions. If anyone wanted to uh, find out more about you, or in fact actually go and see a tax agent like yourself, <laughs> where where can they find you? Yeah, sure. So. Um, um, our website is www.wilson-ca.com.au um, and you'll see all details on how to contact us there or feel free to drop us an email at info at wilson-ca.com.au. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that we put uh, that information in the show notes if you would like to get in contact with Andrew to get sorted for this tax year or set yourself up for FY24. But again, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. We really appreciate it. No, it's been fantastic. Thank you. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.